0: Let's go ahead and pray and jump in. God, we thank you for this new day. Thank you for this morning. Um, Giving us this opportunity to spend extra time devoting ourselves to your truth, being equipped to be a better witness to the world. Uh, Will you equip us? Will you give us wisdom? Help us to uh, be a better witness of your gospel, of your truth to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members. Uh, equip us and, and give us a love for them uh, so that our answers will uh, go to serve them and not to serve our pride. Uh, so be with us at this time. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, let me give you a couple of questions along the way that may overlap with the questions you wrote, and then we'll take it from there. So the big sentiment behind this Idea of one true religion is this idea of exclusivity. Have you heard that word, exclusivity? Um, so exclusivity means you exclude, right? You you exclude others um, of the potential of being true, and you're saying we have the truth. Um, and so that's the big key word, exclusivity, and the the fear behind that, the sentiment behind that is, if you are exclusive, if your religion is uh, one that practices exclusivity then it will lead to division it will create uh, <coughs> problems it will make people intolerant okay um, rather than inclusive so it will create more problems and solve problems so you shouldn't hold on to exclusive uh, religious viewpoints that's the kind of the general sentiment okay so the first question is this um, doesn't religion divide people and create violence and oppression, right? uh, Don't religions have a bad just history of that, of of promoting violence and oppression of those who disagree with a certain religious viewpoint, okay? It's sort of the sentiment behind John Lennon's uh, Imagine, right? Uh, Imagine there's no religion, no hell below us, above us only sky, right? And last week when we talked about hell, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the, the implications of what would happen if we really believed that there was no hell below us and above us only sky, and that's not pretty. Uh, if you really think that through, uh, it doesn't create a pretty picture for living in this world with no ultimate consequences. Okay? Um, but that aside, is it true that exclusivity is what creates most, if not all, the problems in the world? And one very historically powerful argument against this um, is the the general political uh, climate of the 20th century during the 1900s when um, uh, they actually believed this and tried to control or get get rid of religion by force. And so this happened in Soviet Russia, Communist China, even in Nazi Germany. Uh, Today it's still happening in places like North Korea. Okay. religion is under tight rein and historically it's so clear that the effort to control religion uh, by political means didn't actually bring more peace and harmony and unity uh, but actually more violence and oppression the, the 20th century is actually the most violent century in, in history uh, no, no other century have seen more bloodshed than the 20th century with these non-religious regimes trying to control religious practice Um, Alistair McGrath he's a historian at Oxford and he says the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence did you get that? so the greatest violence and intolerance were practiced by those who feared that religion creates intolerance and violence So um, this idea that if we only just control religion and get rid of religion, we'll all be united and happy later after is not true. There was a grand socio-political experiment done in the 20th century, and that's just not what happened. Uh, Another reason why this doesn't work is because religion just seems to be growing all the more uh, as time goes by, especially during this sort of technologically advanced age, scientifically advanced age, people thought... Right, as we explain the world better, figure out more scientific means of, of doing life, religion would just fade away. Actually, religion has been growing uh, all over the world globally. Um, in the past 100 years, Korea right, um, has gone from 1% Christian to 45% Christian. And no other country has seen a, a more exponential growth in, in their technological and scientific advancement. Okay, only grown more religious, not less. China is seeing a similar number of growth. Today, actually, there, there are more Christians, more number of Christians in China than there are in the United States. I don't know if you knew that. There are more Christians today in China than there are in the United States. Um, so secularism, of course, has, we've seen some growth of that in the U.S., but Uh, it's nothing like the growth of religious people all around the world. When you look at it on a global scale, people are becoming, humanity is becoming more religious, not less. And I would argue even the so-called secular sort of movement, the new atheist movement in, in the United States, is actually, in a lot of ways, resembling these sort of fundamentalistic religious doctrines. Like, if you believe this, you agree with us, that will take us to this heavenly utopia but if you disagree with us, you, you, you don't agree with what we what we believe, what we espouse, you're taking us to hell. Sort of this naturalistic form of hell. So, it, I mean, it's very fundamentalistic, it's very doctrinal, very fervent in their in their rhetoric, in their language. And they have these prophets that speak for them. Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris. It, it, it carries a lot of fundamentalistic characteristics as well. So we're actually not less religious. We're actually more. So... Um, we're not going to get rid of religion; it's not going away. And when we try to, it made things worse. Okay. So, um, what does the Bible affirm in this? Okay, in First John chapter four, one, it says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world." So, Bible talks about there being good religion and bad religion. Good spirituality and bad spirituality. What the Bible doesn't say is, okay, um, uh, get rid of all religions or everybody has to be just as religious as possible. It's neither, right? There's, there's a reason why it says test the spirits to see whether they are from God, okay? So there's a particular form, a particular healthy form of spirituality that the Bible, Bible is promoting. The Bible is not promoting this, some general sense of religiosity or spirituality, and trying to, you know, kumbaya with everyone, okay? That's not what the Bible is doing. So, Christians should agree that some religious practices and doctrines are harmful. They are harmful, okay? But not all of them are harmful. This is where we hear the other objection. This is the second question. Um, Aren't all religions equally valid and basically teach the same thing? So isn't it kind of intolerant of Christians to claim that theirs is the only true point of view when there are a lot of other points of view? Okay. Um, now, I don't think most people actually think this. I don't think most people think we're, most religions are equally valid. Like if if a certain religion believes that the believers should offer child sacrifices to their god, I don't think they will say, oh, that's equally valid as Buddhism, or equally valid as Catholicism. I don't think they actually believe that. Um... But even if that wasn't the case, you run into another problem, and that problem is the problem of doctrine, the problem of doctrine. And the, and the problem of doctrine, what I mean by that, simply put, is it takes one to know one. Okay? Just try to keep that phrase in mind. It takes one to know one. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let's say a man claims that all religions are equally valid and pretty much believe in the same sort of God. Here's what you can ask that person. Can you tell me more about this God? that you say we all pretty much believe equally in? Okay. Tell me more. Could you describe him for me? Give me some of his attributes. Okay. Describe him. And, and he'll probably struggle to. but in order to stand by the claim that all religions are pretty much equally valid, you would have to give a very generic definition of God, something like, God is just this all-loving spirit of the universe. Okay. Um, God is this, this combined energy in the universe. God is in all of us, and, and when we come together, we become God, or some, something very general and generic. Now, the problem with this kind of description, which you would hear in popular culture from people like Rob Bell, Oprah Winfrey, uh, sometimes Joel Olstein, uh, when you hear these very popular definitions of God, the problem with that is these are exclusive definitions of God. They're not inclusive; they're exclusive. One, it disagrees with Buddhism, right? It doesn't believe in a personal God at all. It doesn't believe that God is some spirit form of love, right? And it disagrees with Christianity that says God is not just a combined force of the universe; God is the creator of the universe. So you already you excluded Buddhists; you exclude out of Christianity and Catholicism. Right? So when you try to give an inclusive definition of God, you exclude a bunch of. Other definitions of God. So, in your attempt to be inclusive, you're actually being exclusive. So, in in your attempt to say you shouldn't hold on to your doctrine, they are they're propound they're pro- propagating their own doctrine. Does that make sense? Right. There, it takes one to know one. It takes one doctrine to see another doctrine. It takes one doctrine to reject another doctrine. There's no doctrine-free point of view. Everybody has a doctrine, right? And so, as soon as you tell someone. You shouldn't be so rigid about your doctrine. That's a doctrine. The doctrine of not being rigid about your doctrine. Should we be rigid about not being rigid? Because right? that's essentially what they're saying. Right? You should be flexible. Well, you should be rigid about being flexible. Like You should be always flexible to all people at all times. That's a very rigid doctrine. Okay? So again, it takes one to know one. So, so the person kind of ends up doing what he says we shouldn't do, right? He's holding on to his own set of rigid, fundamentalistic, exclusive doctrines, that is, exclusive other points of view, okay? It takes one to know one. And then, that might lead to the next question, and that is, but I'm not claiming to know for certain. You are, okay? We should be humble and not claim to see the whole truth. Maybe we see parts of the truth, parts of this and that, parts of reality, but we shouldn't claim to see the whole truth. You're claiming to see the whole truth. I'm saying every religion sees parts of the truth. So the story that's often used to support this uh, is the story of the blind men and the elephant. Have you guys heard that? It's sort of like a parable type of thing. So there's three blind men, and they chance upon an elephant for the first time, never seen one before, and they each touch a part of the elephant, right? And they start describing it. So one person touches the elephant's you know, trunk and says, oh, it's like a snake, very flexible. And another one touches the leg and says, no, it's like a tree. It's not flexible at all. Um, and then another touches the side and it's like, you're both wrong. It's really, ele- elephant is really large and it's like a wall. Okay. So the the, the moral of the, that story is um, nobody really sees the full elephant and, and so you need to respect each other's views. You're all equally valid and that kind of thing. Well, The story backfires on the person using it, right? Here's how. Because the story is told from the point of view of someone who's not blind. So the person saying that is saying, you're all blind except me. I have the full picture. I see the full elephant, not you religious people, right? And, And he's saying, it's arrogant to say you see the full picture. It's It's very intolerant to say you see the full picture, but they're doing that very thing. They're saying, all of you religious people only see a part of the picture, but I see the full elephant. It backfires on them, right? Why would you claim something so arrogant, so, um, in a way, imperialistic? Like, I see the full picture, and you, less civilized, less rational people, need to believe what I believe, right? So the only way you can claim that all religions only see a partial picture is if you claim to see the full picture. So, so the, the, the appearance of humility is really a pretense. It's actually the most arrogant thing you can ever say, to say, you're all blind except me. Okay. They're claiming an absolute vantage point that they say nobody has. Okay. It backfires on them. They're shooting themselves in the foot. All right. uh, and, then, and then another question they might raise is, but... Even so, you shouldn't try to actively convert someone to your religion. right? You're crossing a line there when you're trying to convert someone to your religion. And I, and I recall uh, when I was uh, working briefly at, at Starbucks, a Christian friend of mine, a coworker, uh, invited a, a another fellow coworker who was a non believer out for uh, a drink. And I think they went to like a, a jazz performance. They were having a drink and watching jazz. And then my Christian friend um, decided to, you know, look for an opportunity to share the gospel with, uh, with a non-believer. The next day, the, the, the non-believer comes to work and just starts telling everyone about how offended he was that this guy was trying to convert him to Christianity. Like, he was trying to, he was trying to make me believe in Jesus. Can you believe that? That kind of, I, I just overheard that. And so, so there's a sentiment like, okay, even if you hold on to your belief and you think it's true, you shouldn't try to convert people, okay? Now, here's a, here's a fascinating article written some years ago in the New York Times where uh, this atheist professor describes his disappointment in one of his brightest students at the University of Chicago. I think it was School of Business. This really super smart student who came to the professor one day and told him about his experience at a Billy Graham crusade. You know Billy Graham, the great evangelist gather gathered thousands and, and then after he preaches, like hundreds would come and accept Christ as Savior. Well, he was one of those. The student was one of those. And then the student came and told the professor about it. And the professor wrote this. I wanted to cast down on the step he was about to take to help him see there are other ways to live other ways to seek knowledge and love i wanted to convince him his dignity depended on maintaining a free skeptical attitude toward doctrine i wanted to save him i wanted to save him from from religion to uh, to skepticism to secular humanism right so the point is he found he realized he can't avoid believing that if someone held his view, converted to his view about reality, they would be better off, okay? And this is something that we cannot help but do, and we all do it. We all do it. Whenever you you make an argument about climate change, that it's real, you're trying to convert someone. Whenever you say, this uh, this system of justice needs to be reformed a certain way, you're trying to convert someone to your view. We're all trying to convert people, Okay? We're all trying to convert people because we care, because we think people will be better off, because we all are wired to pursue this common good. We cannot help but share good news. We cannot help but share movie ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? and, and then argue about whether Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player, or, or is it Kobe Bryant, or is it LeBron James? Okay, I, I included him <laughs> in the list for you, James. You know? We're, we're always trying to convert people to our views. Everybody's doing this, okay? Everybody's claiming to see the elephant. Everybody's trying to convert each other. Right? This is not a religious phenomenon. It's a universal human phenomenon. We all do this. Now, of course, you can do this arrogantly and pridefully, right? In a very ugly and nasty way. Or you can do this in a gentle and respectful way, which the Bible commands Christians to do. Do this with gentleness and respect. Give a reason for the hope that you have in gentleness and respect. That's built into Christian conversion, Christian evangelism, Christian mission, which makes Christianity quite unique. Okay. Converts with love, converts with kindness, converts with gentleness, converts with words, with good news. Okay. And, and that leads to sort of this sort of concluding point I want to make, that the central teachings of Christianity is central doctrine, the thing that we should be most fundamentalistic about and rigid about is actually Christ. And when you look at Christ, what we see is the love of God. So uh, if we are really being fundamentalistic, if we're being really rigid, and if we're saying we're going to exclude everything else that contradicts Christ, what we're really holding on to essentially is the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. Uh, And these are things that we're saying we want to hold on to. And we want to reject everything that's contrary to this. So Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus here equates good Christian works that glorify God with good works other people recognize as good. right? So there's a universal good here that we're pursuing on behalf of the world. We're all about redeeming this world for for God, for God's glory, and that's better for all of us. In 1 Peter 2.12, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evil doers, doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Okay. Again, universal good, common good, that's recognizable if we pursue the glory of God. And in 1 John 4, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Okay. The essence of the the God we believe in is that He is love. Okay. And and who would disagree that the world today desperately needs more love, right? Uh, But what we question and what we struggle with is, where do we get this love? Where do we get it? Okay. Uh, Is it just inherent in human nature? If that's the case, why would we even have this discussion about exclusivity and intolerance and divisiveness, right? Uh, Why haven't we fixed humanity's problems already if we're inherently loving? It's not inherent in us, right? But the Bible points us to the the true source of love, right? Telling us, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to, the, to be the propitiation for our sins. So the Bible defines for us what love looks like. It looks like what Christ did for us. Right? It looks like the love of God displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as He loved us, we're commanded to love one another. Okay? And, get this, we are commanded to love even those who accuse us of being exclusive, intolerant, bigoted, divisive, and all that. We're commanded to love them, right? Uh, not to, not to uh, lash back, lash out in, in anger and in, in reciprocating the same kind of uh, um, rudeness and nastiness, but, but to show the love, manifest this love of God. And so, here's the question. Isn't this a good thing to be fundamentalistic about?
1: Right?
0: Isn't this a good thing to be exclusive about? To, to exclude things that contradict this? Right? Isn't this a good thing to hold on to? We have this in Christianity where, where we have this highest good, the most beautiful form of love as our fundamentalistic core. Right? So, in a sense, right? if there's any concern about Christians today, it should not be that they are too fundamentalistic. Right? The concern should be they are not fundamentalistic enough. Right? Whenever, whenever you see a Christian that's being angry and nasty and intolerant and divisive and being rude, that's not fundamentalism. That's a lack of Christian fundamentalism. Right? They, what they need is more Christian fundamentalism that would draw them to the love of Christ because that's what we're fundamentalistic about. Not anything else other than that. So we should be even more committed to our true doctrine and display the love of Christ. We should be even more exclusive of things that contradict the love of Christ for the, for the sake of the world. Okay? So when this love is misrepresented or absent, we should correct that and get back to the fundamentals. Get back to the fundamentals of Christianity, and that is the love of God, and make that more, more visible to the world, okay. Now I know you guys have questions that weren't um, explicitly addressed from that. So let's address some of those now. What were some some other questions or statements, feelings, whatever you wrote down that other people might feel, ask, raise that was not clearly addressed?
1: Yeah. So one um, of the topics you're talking about were like popular, um, you know, people in the popular culture scene kind mm. of giving their claims about God and mm-hmm. Christianity mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then we have this statement about God and you know God has this or in the Bible there's this fundamental view of you know Jesus Christ and how we should be more fundamental like Jesus which is to love others mm-hmm. but in us saying that uh, couldn't there be an argument saying that, that that's a claim that you guys know the truth like you know that loving everybody is your truth so couldn't they make the argument saying like what makes you think you know the truth like what makes you think that's the truth you know so i, I see like mm-hmm. using this argument perhaps they might say your claim it can be rebuked by your claim in like mm-hmm. a statement that we made yeah because i i believe in this the the first argument here about the fundamentalism of christianity like you know our the true source of love, God sent us, Jesus, and we're yeah. supposed to be more like Jesus, um, then for me to say that sounds like a claim as well. But
2: I mean, it is, yeah. But couldn't you also say that um, what Pastor John was going on about how like um, we perceive this as our own claim, if, I think he, what Pastor John did was he answered the counter-argument about whether what we're seeing is the truth and how people might propose that, what we're seeing is, in fact, part of the part of the whole. When, in fact, that we already discussed the fact that that in itself is that we're, was it? Um, we're claiming the absolute vantage point that nobody has. So essentially, what we are uh, what we are propagating um, then is that essentially that Christians and have that
0: absolute vantage point,
2: um, and mm. everybody can make that solid, basically essential, solid claim that everybody has their own vantage.
0: okay yeah that's helpful because i think that actually helps me understand what you're saying a bit better (coughs) uh, what joseph just said so um i think maybe a question is do are we actually claiming that are we actually claiming an absolute vantage point yes yeah Yeah. right um and um the, the answer to that is jesus's right so jesus comes along and says i am before abraham i am and he's about to get stoned for blaspheming like that because that's a claim to be god right so The Bible tells us Jesus, he comes along some 2,000 years ago, and that's historically cemented that he came into the world. And he went around claiming that he is God. He's the son of God, eternally existing. And then he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, you've seen the whole thing. And and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So he's claiming all these absolute things about himself, and we're saying we trust him. So, So it's not saying John Kim has an absolute vantage point of, you know, I'm, it's, it's saying John can trust in Jesus who claims to have that absolute vantage point. And so then if there are people coming along saying, no, Jesus didn't claim that, oh yeah, let's have a Bible study.
1: <laughs> let's,
0: you know, I'll meet with you, you meet with me, I'll buy the coffee, let's have Bible study together, let's look at what Jesus said. And then you have something going on there. But if they're not willing to actually get into what Jesus act- had actually historically claimed then, I don't think they have the, in a way, the right to say, well, Jesus didn't claim that or they didn't claim this. But, um, and the thing is, there's actually no other sort of hum- human, <clears> human <throat> ever who walked the earth that claimed things like that, that I am the Son of God. And I, I mean, they were saying I'm teaching the truth, like Muhammad would say, you know, I'm teaching you the truth about Allah, or you know, you might have, you know, a Buddha coming along saying this and that, uh, and Joseph Smith coming along saying this and that about you know the Book of Mormon, but none of them said I am God. And then and then had change the world because of his claims. Uh, Jesus is unique in that, Christianity is unique in that, that God actually came into the world as a human, in human form, in the form of flesh, and then made all these absolute claims. And Christians are simply saying, he has the absolute vantage point that we, we may not all have. Um, and sometimes that's why, you know, Jesus' teaching contradicts us, right? I mean, that's why we didn't fabricate him because he, he corrects us, He he aligns us to himself. So, um, uh, we are not saying we have the absolute advantage, but we're saying Jesus has the absolute advantage. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Others?
3: Um, I have a question, yeah. but it's not... It's about the question. Yeah. So, um, I feel like when people are making kind of those objections, or if someone were to ask me, why is Christianity the only true religion? I personally already am turned off. Mm. I don't even want to talk to that person because they're in a sense approach me antagonistically or I think also mm. I struggle to dialogue with, with people who want to ask questions like that because I feel like their motives are not p- pure I mean they're, it feels like they're being really rational but when I look underneath there's so much emotion in there that I hesitate to even want to go into there yeah. Because um, if they're super heady, then I feel like I can't compete with them. If they're super emotional underneath, then I feel like it's like a bomb. And if I just like touch something, there'll be like an explosion like yeah. something that happened in their past or a friend that yeah. hurt them or something really right. emotional there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
0: good. So um, in that case, I would say, actually, in, in, in every case, I would say, uh, don't make uh, changing their mind your goal mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the things I just shared can really be taken as a tool to get to know what they actually believe and get them to see what they actually believe so if they if they if someone comes to you and says so why do you believe in Christianity when it's so intolerant and <laughs> it's, it's so it's so divisive and uh-huh. you know excludes so many people I would I would ask oh um, interesting what so uh, what is your view about true and good religion? What would that look like? Is there such a thing? And maybe that person will say, well, my version of true good religion is ABC, and then you would say, well, you know, that excludes a whole lot of people. If they say, you know what, I, I think we should get our all religions, then I would, look. Okay. <sighs> did you look at 20th century? Uh, and if they're like, no, there's a, there's a peaceful way to go about it. It doesn't have to look like 20th century. Okay, what would that look like? It will look like a government where we have this and that, uh, we educate people to believe this and that, and we we get rid of this and that sacred text. And... Okay, so you're converting people. So, so I, I would just ask them these questions to help them see you're, you're doing pretty much the same thing. You're holding on to pretty much the same things, with just different names on it, different sort of secular labels on it, but... You're pretty much doing what I'm doing, believing what I believe. Yeah. Uh, when, if, but, if, but I would also point them to, you know, hey, but have you looked at what Jesus was teaching and about loving your enemies, about, you know, uh, giving an answer with gentleness and respect, and and that the essence of God is love. You know, have you have you seen these things? You know, who else is teaching us to love our neighbors? You know, love the other tribe, love the other side, um, bless those who curse you. You know, that's what I that's what I want to hold on to. You know, do you have a problem with that? <laughs> um, so yeah, rather than trying to change their mind, because we can't really, this is to give a reasonable answer so that I mean, we're we're standing on firm on our faith. But it might actually help them to come to a sort of self awareness about themselves. And so I recently had an actual I recently, uh, had a conversation recently with an agnostic person. Who was uh, who, who? Who had problems about just the Bible's teaching on sexuality, right? So why is the Bible so like intolerant of homosexuals and and things like that? Well, one I said, one hey, I, I'm perfectly fine with befriending homosexuals or having them over for dinner, and befriending them, but I'm I'm am I'm, I'm going to hold to what I believe about the sexual ethics in the Bible, and and then and then I asked him, hey, but what are your sexual ethics? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, so, do you think certain sexual practices are permissible and some some of them aren't he's like no i i don't think that you sure he's like yeah so you're okay with and i give him scenarios where Mm -hmm. he would cringe and say oh no i don't i'm not okay with that Mm -hmm. i said oh so you do draw a line somewhere Mm -hmm. he's like i guess i do well on what basis Mm -hmm. and why should people agree with your Mm -hmm. standard of ethics and let me broaden that why should people one century later agree with your current Mm -hmm. cultural view of ethics so you have a certain sexual ethics you hold to that excludes people, that says to certain people, you can't do that. I can do that, but you can't do that. Well, the Bible does that too. You're doing the same thing. Isn't it the same thing? He's like, well, I, I guess it's kind of the same So <laughs> That's all I'm trying to do. That's, I'm not even trying to say you have to agree with me. I'm just trying to show them, you, you're you doing pretty much the same thing. You're as religious as I am. So So just maybe... And then maybe you're loving your neighbor by just giving them the gift of self-awareness, right? Um, and, yeah, and they might be like, hey, you know what? I want to know more. You know, I want to hear more about your views and things like that. Um, it, it actually is a blessing. It's a gift to people that, uh, that you can show them there is kind of this self-awareness they can have about their, their spirituality, their religiosity that they, they did not see before. And it's, it's disarming, too, because you're not attacking them. You're not saying they're wrong. You're just putting a mirror up against them. Yeah. You know, here you are. It's like what my dentist did for me. It's like here, take a look. It's this is you. I'm like, oh, that looks pretty bad. You know, help me. You know. so that's pretty much what you're doing. That's
1: helpful. Yeah. You. One more. Like so, for me, one big thing is like, yeah. I have, I have a lot of multicultural friends. Yeah. Non-believers, and a lot of like people who believe in other religions yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think this. I think I think this was answered. But you know, like homosexuality, like yeah, uh, people believe in the religion, but we can still love them, right? I mean, yeah. we should love them. But I think it goes back to if you do love the person, you will rebuke them. You will try to teach them. Mm. So, mm. You know. But how do you do that? No, it was, I think I was just thinking to myself like, how can I put? Because like there's yeah. so many. Just so many scenarios where like, if you did bring up Jesus Christ to like your Muslim friend, you're like, whoa, 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 like, mm-hmm. like, our friendship is drawn right here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Religion is something we take home and then we do personally, and then we come back, we do very, like, secular things, we we'll talk about secular things and do right. like,
0: secular things. Right, yeah, that's another big sort of illusion or uh, common, like, misconception about, like, you shouldn't bring religion into the public sphere. You should keep it only in the private sphere. Yeah. The thing is, again, I would just ask them if if that's what they think, how do you define religion? Because some people define religion as, oh, it's just something I do once a week. It's just a two-hour investment at a religious institution once, once a week, like a Sunday or Saturday or something like that. Some people define religion that way, but for some other people, religion is the very source of where they draw the meaning of good and evil, the meaning of life, the purpose of life, the compass to life. They cannot make any decision apart from their religion because it's who they are, fundamentally, you know. Um, it's their philosophy of life. It's their basis for, for every, every act they perform. And in that case, it's impossible, it's really, it's really impossible to check your religion at the door when you step into, let's say, a classroom or the voting booth or something like that, because that's just who you are. That's almost like telling an atheist, check your reasoning at the door when you go into a classroom. Like, check your scientific methods at the door when you go into a biology class. Like, no, they're like, no, that's who I am. I, I'm, I'm wired to be scientific. I'm wired to be reasonable, rational. Well, I'm wired to be religious, you know. And that's, that's who I am fundamentally. And, and I want to bring these things together, my, my faith and, and, and what I perceive in the world, the rational uh, uh, relationship I have with the world. I want to bring all this together. So, so one part of the answer then is to say, uh, I, I don't think it's possible to check what's really basic about you at the door. It's almost like check your Koreanness at the door when you come into, you know, an American university setting or whatever. You, know, you, can't, you can't do that, right? So, there's that. Um, when it comes to, like, just their disagreements about biblical views, I would, I would maybe not go to that straight away and just show them the multi-dimensionality of Christianity by just practicing, for example, hospitality, right? You don't have to go straight to the sexuality in the Bible, but what about the hospitality in the Bible? And just be like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? You want to hang out at my place? Can I serve you in this way, you know, offer you a meal, that kind of thing? And just befriend them, because there are a million other things you can talk about to associate with them, right? Because we, we are social beings we we engage in social activities, we have common interests that can make us befriend someone so um yeah i i've it was i've had a I've had a Muslim i remember this is back in Florida, but I had a Muslim over for for dinner at our place, and you know we're talking about just regular everyday stuff for the most part, you know um, and I think by our second meeting or so, I think we kind of just openly, I don't know if we said it explicitly, but I think we uh, at least knew implicitly we're both trying to convert each other. <laughs> you know? But that's okay. That's really okay. It's almost like a Democrat having a Republican friend. And, 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 of course, you live in a world, you do live in a world where that's becoming more and more of a rare thing. It's like this coexisting is like an endangered species. It's like, you don't, it's like if you see one, you're like, Whoa! I found one. I found the pair of friends who have different opposing views, you know. But I think that's that's really where you have we have an opportunity to be a, a really cool witness to the world, you know. So when people see us, especially in the church, first of all, right? When you are befriending a church brother or sister who has different opposing views on these polarizations, then, pe- then the world will see that and be like, "Hey, that's admirable. That's that's good and glorify God because of that." So. You know, let's make that an aim uh, and, and strive towards befriending those who do have bif- different views, even as we have different views, even as we hold on to those different views. Even if none of us, neither of us would convert each other either way until the day we die, let's befriend them. And that's basically me saying to a Muslim, hey, I want to be your friend and your neighbor whether you convert or not. It's, it's not conditioned on this project being successful, you know, this conversion project. No, I'm just trying to be your neighbor because that's a command, right? To love your neighbor, right? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is not convert your neighbor, right? It's to love your neighbor. And of course, included in that could be sharing, is sharing the gospel. Uh, But the ultimate aim is not, I got to get him to convert. No, the ultimate aim is I need to love them and if they're only letting me love them as a neighbor right now I'll love them as a neighbor praying that they'll help enable me to love them as a brother in Christ as well yeah small question last one yeah last one um, so
2: given our sociopolitical like kind of shift yeah Um, about where we're like, like you said, where we're like going from where people have friends who have share opposing views to kind of having this sort of exclusivity among people who share opposing views. Um, how do you talk or uh, how do you talk to people about intolerance in in Mm. that regard? Like, especially when it reflects upon like religion and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: How do you talk to them about intolerance? Yeah. Yeah. I was, again, I think a lot of times defining terms help. It's like, you know, what is your definition of intolerance? Because the definition used to be uh, where uh, uh, intolerance simply meant that uh, you, you can't stand someone having a different point of view. So tolerance meant you're okay with coexisting with people with a different viewpoint. But today, tolerance means you have to accept their viewpoint. And, and you can't say disagreeable things that's intolerant. And so the definitions change, but I mean, I don't think that's a working definition. I don't yeah. think that works. How yeah. would you,
2: I mean, I guess how would you, uh, the better question is, how yeah. would you approach somebody who
0: shares mm. an intolerant view? Like who shares that current definition, definition of, of intolerance? Of, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the best way you can do that is by uh, trying to befriend them, yeah. Uh, Knowing, knowing that their views are so different from yours, knowing that their views are uh, radically different from yours, show them you're not turned off by that. Yeah, you're not. You're not turned off by that, uh, and you're willing to love them and befriend them. Okay. Yeah, good question. All right, let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you for this time. Um, God, we want to love our neighbors. And, and sometimes we need your wisdom to be ready, be equipped with answers to disarm, um, to, to give appropriate answers. And, and God, we pray that this time was useful to that. You, we pray that you will continue to equip us towards that end. Um, help us, God. Uh, our, our, our aim here is to glorify you with our good works, uh, to glorify our Father in heaven uh, through our, our hospitality, through our love, and through uh, giving good, reason, reasonable answers with gentleness and respect. So continue to equip us and help us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's get ready for service.